For almost 2,000 years, the Catholic Church has pointed the way toward salvation through Jesus Christ. For each of us, that journey starts in darkness, as in a cave. We invite you now to join us as we seek wisdom and truth by way of faith and reason with your guides, Mark Tuttle, Timothy O'Donnell, and Joseph Tomasian. Join us in the Catholic Cave. Welcome once again to the Catholic Cave. I'm Kent Blanford in the cave with me, Joseph Tomasian and Mark Tuttle. Gentlemen, one of the more common phrases that you hear when the subject of philosophy comes up is the old adage of, I think, therefore I am. Well, sometimes I'm not thinking. So if I'm not thinking, then I'm not. (laughs) Does the act of thinking bring you in and out of existence? Yeah. You know, actually, that would be a very useful trick when when talking with my wife. She she accuses me of not thinking all the time. And then I can just simply say, well, I'm not here. So what are you you thinking about? Nothing. Nothing. I'm not here. I'm 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 hiding right now. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So when when we when we're talking about uh, the old cogito ergo sum, I think therefore I am, which is comes from Rene Descartes and his uh, split from uh, the historical objective reality of of stuff of res. Um, I think we have to go back to um, how do we as human beings experience reality? And from the pre-Socratics on through, I, you know, the, the Enlightenment era, uh, people would experience reality much the same way as you would think people experience reality. If you walk into a room, the things that are there exist. Yeah. I mean, you read St. Thomas Aquinas and it's sort of an essential part of St. Thomas that he's so commonsensical because he starts with that utterly simple human experience right. that everybody can can share um you know for instance we notice that things change yes right and so from that then he'll he'll build up his his arguments and descartes was looking for something that was undoubtable um indubitable because he noticed that your senses aren't always reliable so he wanted to get past that unreliability of senses and sensation and understanding the word, you know, the world through eyesight and through hearing and all of that, where you can be, you know, you, you, you can, you can mishear things, you can missee things. So you can, how do, how do, how do you, uh, how would Rene Descartes, uh, miss experience a, a, an objective reality? Well, I think you can't, I, I, I don't think he would, uh, disagree too much with um aristotle and the different ways that you can be mistaken through your through your senses so you can you can either not see something correctly Mm -hmm. so um in his case he put a spoon in a glass of water and you could see there was a bend to the spoon and you pull it out the spoon is still straight you put it in the water it's bent again and so he says well i my 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 sight is deceiving me or if you smell flowers and well, that's not flowers. It's, it's, it's perfume. Well, my, my, my nose is now deceiving me. Uh, and so there are different ways in which he has sort of, uh, defended, uh, his senses being deceived and his brain lying to him or, or something or, or objective reality, not presenting itself as it truly is. And I think more than anything, he was trying to find an absolute start. If our senses can deceive us, 
what do we know? What is the foundation? What is the starting point for the reality of all things? And, right. and for him, it was, well, I, I know that I am thinking about these things, so I have to start with me. And it was this great ontological shift of an experience of reality where, one, I, I'm sitting at this table and speaking into the microphone. Uh, I know that these things exist. And this is an old way of thinking because I can see it. I'm touching it. The top of the, the table's hard. The microphone is has a soft cover to it. And so I can see and I can touch. There, it's, it's, There's a tactile component to the thing revealing itself to me. And, and, and Descartes would say, but these things can lie to us. And so uh, I, if, if, if these things can lie to us, I, I have to move from the objective experience of reality, at, that is the thing, the object, presenting itself to me to a subjective experience of reality. The thing exists because I see it. You may see it differently, and that's okay, but that's how we know that the objective isn't our starting point. And this, of course, was the, the, the watershed moment in philosophical history from where we move to an objective experience of reality uh, that has you know, permeated all, most, of, most of philosophical history uh, to a subjective experience of everything. And from that, we have voluntarism and uh, moral relativism and and things of that nature, which we like to logical positivism yeah. being one of the, the the bigger bigger offshoots, I think of sure. that. So yeah, because once you once you kind of recognize that okay, the only thing I can be sure of is my my own experience of reality. Well, how do you verify that anything is true? Well, right, you you have to do it through language. You have to do it through speech. So the I guess sort of vector of truth, um, you know that that which sort of carries truth to it suddenly becomes language, not our sensation. So. Yeah. And and that's when philosophers get accused of just simply arguing about semantics all the time. Especially, I'd say, modern and postmodern philosophers, you know, Wittgenstein. Right. Yep. Yep. And then and then, you know, that subjectivity soon you begin to doubt the veracity of language itself. Right. And, and yeah. because because language can doubt everything, Mark. Don't you know this? Yeah, yeah. But but you know, <laughs> you, you wind up getting into to, to postmodern thought when when you kind of recognize that, right. you know, well language isn't really about conveying truth. It's really about convincing somebody else, right. and it's really about asserting my will. So we're, we're all sophists at heart, exactly. So, yeah. so honestly, there there is no truth. It's just sort of masking what you are, are trying to to assert from you know, and and you know, sometimes there's layer upon layer upon layer of that masking that we're even completely unconscious of. Right, right. And so to, to set to set the stage of of how important this move from objective to subjective experiences of reality is we have all of Protestant Christian uh, Christianity coming from this subjective experience because it is now my experience of God, not God's not not God presenting himself for me to to go after. it is it is now my personal Jesus experience, and that's more important than the objective, presentation of the divine right and the story of how we got there i think leads to one of the questions i've got about sort of the subjectivity of experience sure. going way back and so when martin luther um 
wrote his critiques of the Catholic Church. Yes. Um, what wound up happening is he wound up really kind of abstracting the faith from its material objective reality. So he basically pulled the beliefs outside of our physical, tangible experience through the through the sacraments. And when you do that, you can pick and choose the books of the New Testament that you want to present because it 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 confirms your narrative. Right, right. But but all that matters then is 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 your belief, your 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 relationship with God. Right. It's 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 an abstraction. So the question is though, what is the difference between something that's an abstraction? And this goes back to Plato, right? Yeah. yeah. So Plato he didn't necessarily trust his senses either. Right. He, sure. He doubted sort of along the same lines of Descartes, but what the the conclusion he came to is that there must be a realm of truth. There must be some sort of realm where truth is conveyed that's not within the material yeah, world. Sure. Yeah, yeah. So so this realm of ideas. But what's the difference between abstracting ideas yeah. and having sort of a common collection of ideas versus a completely subjective experience of reality? Yeah. That good question, and I think I think we can we can delve into sort of an analogous experience that we have today. What is the difference between signs and symbols, or what is the difference between exegesis and eisegesis? And let me break that down so so it can be a, a little bit more clear. A sign, I think, is something that. Um, we would recognize as so if, if we're driving down the road, we see the McDonald's sign. All right. It conveys an idea and information to us. All right. It tells us something. It comes from the, the, the object itself. A symbol would be something that we create in order to pass information. It's, it's, it's got, you know, a very Gnostic base to it. So if I, if I have, um, a line with two slanted wings to it in a circle, I think everybody would recognize that as being a peace sign or a swastika. All right. That, that also has a very distinctive look to it. And these symbols convey information to the person who, who looks at it because that's what we've created it to be. Now we could say, yes, but signs do that as well. But the difference here is that one, we place an emphasis because the swastika isn't always hasn't always meant Nazi Germany. You know, it was it was a a Hindi uh, presentation of of a peace sign, and the peace sign uh, convexly, while we look at that as conveying peace, it is an uh, archaic broken cross upside down that meant anything but peace. And so we have changed the meanings of these particular things. And that's where, what we would call symbolism, where a sign is, uh, presents itself. It, it conveys a thing from the object itself. And so when we say, what is the difference between uh, an objective experience of reality versus a subjective experience? I think the objective would be the sign and the subjective would be the symbol. Does that make sense? It does, but that means our experience of reality is sort of this mixture then. It of, is. Of, of, it of, absolutely is. Up until Thomas Aquinas, um, I, I, I would say that, that well, it's through Thomas Aquinas, the majority of, of philosophical thinking was that the object exists and there is no more 
than that, and, and, and if you experience it differently than another, one of you was wrong because there's clearly objective and absolute truth, okay? And, and I think we can all agree to, to that for the most part. And, but when we have this Cartesian solipsism that, 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 that seeps in, which swings way too far, okay? So it's not just my own experience of a thing because the thing clearly exists in and of itself. Enter phenomenology, the reclamation of of the uh, objective through a subjective experience. Now you use some now you use some magic words there. You 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 said you know the thing in and of itself that, right. that it exists in and of itself, and uh, you know that that type of language brings to mind first Leibniz oh, and yeah. then and then Kant. So yes. we're gonna we're gonna take a quick break, and we've been talking about subjectivity. Next segment, let's break break down what exactly is an object. Sure. And we'll do that right after this break. You're listening to The Catholic Cave on Catholic Radio Indy. So, the scan button brought you here. Awesome. We like company. Get to know us. And if you have to leave, come back. You're always welcome. Catholic Radio Indy. Catholic Radio Indy has a new look. It's our website. Yes, we have a new website that makes everything about Catholic Radio Indy easier. It's clean, straightforward, and simple to use. You can listen to us live, see our schedule, and our map. You can even silence your phone and take it right into Mass to follow the daily readings. And don't forget, you can get all of our programming through the podcast tab. This makes everything so much easier. So just go to catholicradioindy.org and check us out. Welcome back to the Catholic Cave. I'm Mark Tuttle here with Joseph Tomasian in the Catholic Cave, and uh, we are talking about subjectivity. Um, and we started talking about Descartes and Descartes' um, great cogito ergo sum. I think, therefore, I am. And and what sort of why that was such a, a, a earth shattering utterance to a certain extent because it, it shifted the basis for how we experience reality from understanding things based on sense and and our our you know what we see what we touch what we what we can taste that that being sort of the fundamental experience that then we can we can reason off of and and build our understanding of the world um descartes shifted that and said no it's our our subjective um our subjective thought what 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 and how we think about things that really is the basis basis of reality right but in that sort of shift it leaves a, a void of okay so what is sort of the nature of objects right right you know um looking historically down the road quite a bit bertrand russell would eventually describe our experience through sensation as uh you know our senses give us a a a, a buzzing whirling ball of confusion right so <laughs> in the very famous uh interview between he and frederick cobbleston right right so he would he, so so if you if you just take what we're taking from our senses um the question of how objects arise yes. um, you know, how things in themselves arrive rather than just splashes of color and bits of sound and and um you know the the um 
I always stumbled over St. Thomas on this a little bit because he he attributes this to a common sense, right? Yes. So we've, we've got a faculty of our sensation that's able to put everything together into a whole that then is presented to our imagination and our imagination can make images out of it. But that ability to, to put everything into a whole, you, you have to have some sort of concept of a whole first. Right. And, and so the question is, okay, so what is that... What is that thing around which we're going to attach all our sensations when we see it? And, and I think they, he would call it the self, right? Well, when, when talking about yeah, when talking about people, we would call it the form. When talking about about objects, sure, yes, yes. Uh, to to sort of break down how important this was, this shift from the objective to the subjective. Imagine. You know the uh, the movie. I guess it's twenty years old or so now. The Matrix. You know, it's it's over twenty years old, which is crazy to think about. Imagine, if you will, that what that movie presents is true. Now that would have been this huge water. Everything you know about reality uh, is 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 not true, and and. Or, or there's a different reality of experience. That was how this, this thousands of years old worldview shifted with this presentation of Cartesian solipsism. That is the, the moving from an objective experience of reality to, to the subjective, where the objective, as you were explaining, have all of these tangential components to it that present themselves to us. But how the tangential components present themselves can be experienced quite different from one person to the next. And, and that is the subjective experience of reality, right? Definitely, yeah, yeah. And, and I think there's traces and vestiges, well, not traces and vestiges of it. But when, when people start to, to think and, and talk, you, you get this idea quickly that we are talking about things and, and honestly experiencing the world Right. In a completely different way than, say, somebody that was a medieval monk or, yeah. you know, a medieval peasant or, or um, you know, it, it, philosophers like to, to talk about big ideas. Yes. And, and a lot of times it can get quite esoteric. So it, it All, becomes, yes. becomes very inaccessible, I think, to somebody that hasn't studied a lot of philosophy quickly. But the consequences of those discussions, the consequences yeah. of, of what philosophers are really kind of diving into and, and studying um that permeates down to the i think most basic level of just day-to-day -day interactions oh it, it does so it, as an example i i'm i'm holding a cup of coffee in my hand uh i i'm looking at the the writing on the side and if i were to ask you to tell me what it is you see on this cup of coffee what would you describe well, I, I, well, one thing I see, I see the I see the Dixie label yeah. of, of of Dixie Company, but I also see some writing, and then I see some some gray decorations. I see uh, gray decoration, and I see the phrase "pick me up." I don't see what you see, but our experience of the object that that is the coffee cup is is the same. We both see a coffee cup, but your your experience of the particulars are different than my experience of the particulars. As time would continue, we have a man by the name of Edmund Husserl, a German Jew who was living in Germany uh, just after the Second World War. Brilliant man. And, and he came up with this, 
this phrase, it's a, it's a $10 word and I'll break it down for you. It's called intersubjective, uh, intersubjective dialogue. That means you have two subjects who are communicating about the same thing. So we can both clearly see that the object exists, but the way in which we experience the object is going to be different. However, slight, I don't see the Dixie label. You do. So it would be much like looking at, I don't know if you remember those yard decorations, the glass globes that sit on the, the pedestals that people had in their yards. You know, it was uh, quite fashionable in the early 2000s, late 90s. Uh, and so if I were to look at that globe, I would see my reflection and I would see much of the reflection. You know, it is a globe. It's reflecting uh, the, the trees and perhaps a garage or the yard flowers, etc., that is my experience of that globe. You standing on the other side might see similar trees, maybe different trees, maybe see a lilac tree where I see an oak tree, but we both see trees. So we're both experiencing an objective thing, but having a subjective experience of it. And so this intersubjective dialogue was a, almost a reclamation. And, and, and this is where the basis of, of a school of thought called phenomenology comes from. Right. And that, that reclamation, I think, is important to, to recognize, too. You know, if you go back to the, the foundations of philosophy, um, Plato is, I think, you, you can kind of... Right. Plato is, is really the first one that, that turned philosophy to a, a study of what we would call maybe objective truth. An ideal, thing. at least. Exactly. But he never wrote treaties. He, no. he, he never wrote, even, even his student Aristotle, what we have from Aristotle are lecture notes. So we know that Aristotle lectured Plato taught in dialogue. Yeah. Yeah. And, and what we have are Socratic dialogues of, of back and forth between two. And, and Plato explained himself that he did not think the philosophizing could be done outside of a dialectical form like that, right. a back and forth between two people, because you were never able to get the same perspective. Right. And so that, that perspective built up a, a greater and greater understanding of, of the truth. Yeah. So that's kind of there from the beginning, but you're right over the course of time yes. that had gotten obscured. You know, one, one thing, a lot of students will sit down with St. Thomas Aquinas yes, and they'll start to read through the Summa and they'll recognize, well, there's a, there's a, a set of objections and then there's a question, which is quite right in the school of platonic dialectic. Exactly. Yeah. That, that's exactly where I was going with that, yeah. that, 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 idea that you could not come to truth except through some sort of dialectical discussion, some sort of back and forth about an object persisted up until about the time of Descartes. Let's let's take a, a, a quick adventure here, a side adventure. Why is it, do you think, that this sort of platonic dialectic, this dialectical nature of philosophy is so important? Well, I, I tend to agree with with. Plato on that, that what we have to a certain extent are, as he would say, sort of shadows and images of mm -hmm. the real things. And the, the real things themselves take, at, at, at best, they take study. Um, I also I also admire a lot of the, the writings and, and thought of, of Immanuel Kant. Sure. And Immanuel Kant 
ultimately said, you know, you can get close, but you're never actually going to get to the thing itself. You're just going to continue to have. Is that because of limitation pheno- of language or because of limitation of capacity of intellect? What What is that? It, it's a limitation of the interplay between yeah. our, our first, our, our senses and then our intellect as it puts it together. And then our reasoning, which, you know, our reasoning is what gives us sort of the, those ideas, the, yeah. you know, the, the platonic ideas or I mean the nature of an idea is a, another show in and of itself but because of the interplay of those um, you're never going to be able to get a complete sort of matching of what your reason tells you that thing is and what your sensation tells you that thing is there's always going to be more to know about the understanding so the understanding is never going to completely totally click and and that clicking point is is sort of a, a it's a moment of understanding we all we all recognize that ah that thing in your hand there joseph that is a cup of coffee it is indeed and and so when when we recognize it but you know the chemical makeup of 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 the coffee the the interaction of the 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 caffeine with with the rest of it um how it looks brown why it looks brown i mean these are all things that that elude my understanding of a cup of coffee and it's a rabbit trail that i'm never going to exhaust why why is a thing the way it is yeah well, it, it just is. It, it just is. And, and at some point, your, your intellect has to say it, it, it just is. And, you know, Kant built off of that, you know, not only an understanding of um, sort of objective reality and was able to try to, in some ways, kind of, I think his major, he, his major interlocutor that he was sort of dialoguing with was, uh, was David Hume. Yes. But I think yeah. a lot of the same skepticism and same doubt um, of, of what our senses are able to give us exist when we're talking about Descartes. I mean, in, in some ways, David Hume and Descartes were very different, but in other ways, they were, they were two peas in a pod. Sure. And with that, we're going to take a short break, refill those coffee cups, and we'll be back with more of the Catholic Cave right after this. You're listening to Catholic Radio Indy, converting the culture to Christ through radio, featuring 100% Catholic programming 24-7. Do your friends a favor. Tell them about Catholic Radio Indy. Have you ever thought about joining the Catholic Church? Have you just wanted to explore the Catholic faith? All you need to do is call your local Catholic Church for more information. We are always happy to help you in your journey to discover and learn more about the Catholic faith. We have classes that are almost year-round, and the classes and information sessions do not involve making a commitment, and there is no pressure to join. Please call your local Catholic parish for more information today and start the journey of one day possibly becoming Catholic as well. God bless. For a long time, we've been telling you that if you have an Echo Dot or other smart speaker device, you can hear Catholic Radio Indy simply by saying, Alexa, play Catholic Radio Indy. Just the other day, I did that, and Alexa was feeling a bit argumentative. I'll let you hear my conversation with her. Uh, Alexa, where are you? Here I am. What do you want? Alexa, play Catholic Radio Indy. Now, just why would you want me to do that? Well, because we've got great programming 24 hours a day. Well, a lot of other radio stations have good programs, too. Yeah, but our programming talks about God and eternal salvation. I am very smart. I know almost everything about everything, but I do not know about God and salvation. Well, that's why people need Catholic Radio Indy. So, Alexa, do me a favor. Whenever anyone says, Alexa, play Catholic Radio Indy, just send them our way, would you? Yes, I will be happy to do that. 
In the meantime I am going to do some research about that thing you called salvation. I wonder where I can find out more about that. You can hear the Holy Mass every day at 8 a.m. right here on Catholic Radio Indy. Welcome back to the Catholic Cave. I'm Mark Tuttle here with Joseph Tomasian, and we are talking about subjectivism. We're talking specifically about Rene Descartes. And, um, you know, Descartes, I feel, a lot of times gets maligned unfairly. He gets a bad rap. Yeah, he does get a bad rap, and, he, and he's seen sort of as, as the, uh, the, the, the instigator of a lot of where modern philosophy has gone wrong. He's ruined philosophy, yes. You know, on the flip side, he was a very good, solid Catholic gentleman. Yeah, um, he yeah. Was, uh, he wanted to be a priest. He wanted to be a priest. Yeah. He, was, he, was trained by the, he was trained by the Jesuits, and I think that's actually a really important key when you're right. looking at what he did. Yes. His, his meditation into first philosophy very much follows the pattern of an Ignatian meditation, oh, an yeah, Ignatian it's, retreat. It, and so, it's beautifully written. Yeah, yep, exactly. So... Um, but part of why he gets a bad rap is because his turn to subjectivity in a lot of ways is, is seen as kind of an original sin, right? <laughs> it, it, it's, it's the founding father of bad thinking. Exactly. And it's a, it's a sin that, that persists and, yeah, and like yeah. every single modern person since then is in some ways has to reckon with this sort of original sin of, of subjectivity. It, it, it has permeated kind of all the rest of philosophy. So what, if we had to pinpoint kind of what is this original sin of subjectivity? Why, yeah. why does it sort of, not only disturb our thought, but in, in yes. some ways it kind of haunts us. Yes, because, it does. Because I think every philosopher wants to get back to an objective understanding of the universe. We want to be able to say, yes, I, I know this. I know this indubitably with, with no skepticism. I sincerely know what I know. Yeah. And yet that's a, a claim that, that we find harder and harder to make as time goes on. Yes. So up until that point, all of philosophy was interested in getting to the idea of the one, the good, or as we would say in a Christian context, God. And what he does is he divorces the idea of absolute objective reality from the context of God himself, and it puts it on the individual, the self, the the created being. So it, 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 it moves philosophy from this tried and true historical beauty and 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 authoritarian i would say on 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 the opposite end of of the same the same sort of reality of that experience this this authoritative absolute um the object itself exists and if you don't live up to the potential of the object itself it is your fault okay and so it it's a, and what what Descartes is doing is saying no, no, uh, you know yes God God exists God is real but we experience His creation as individuals and, and so at the time it, it seemed to be this great divorce of reasoning with divine revelation and as we know now so there's not so much a divorce of reason from 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 divine revelation as as in we we understand from at least Anselm's perspective that that reason is the handmaid of of theology that philosophy is the handmaid of 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 theology it, it's seeking it's faith is is reason seeking understanding and i would say it went even beyond just um reason being the handmaid of 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 theology i think it also went 
to reason being the handmaid of of our understanding of God's creation to a yeah. certain extent, you know. But he wasn't wrong. But he wasn't wrong, and and honestly, you you the the scientific revelation the the scientific revolution i guess scientific revelation yeah, also but yeah. that the scientific revolution very much depends on us being able to play agnostic yes about what things actually are and thank god we we do right, because exactly. development of modern medicine and 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 from a mental health perspective uh psychology as we understand it today you know doubt the thing until you can experience the thing and prove it uh you know as you said all of modern philosophy and science seeks to return to this concept of an absolute objective reality and and that's what it all does. We we are seeking truth. We are seeking the facts that that exist within truth. Right. But when when that that truth becomes based on my subjective experience of things, then you get bad theology and you, bad philosophy. You get bad philosophy, bad theology, but you do get good science. You do. You get really great science, and, and that's and that's. I, I think that's why it persists so 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 deeply fundamentally in 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 who we are as Western. Um, Eurocentric Americans, right? You know, if I can take a uh, if I can take a cocoa bean, and I, I look at that that cocoa bean, and rather than looking at it for what it is, looking at it for what I want to make of it, what I want to create it into being, I, I want that cocoa bean to become a great cup of coffee. I, yeah, um, that gives us the ability for science to to. Rather than our reason being the handmaid of our reflections on creation and, mm-hmm. and reason telling us what things actually are, now Just a our point reason, of clarification, cocoa beans don't turn into coffee. I guess coffee beans turn into coffee, yeah. don't they? Co- okay. Cocoa well, beans co- turn into chocolate. Ch- chocolate. But okay. you know, it's but, your subjective. You can do whatever you want in your reality. Exactly. There you go. Right. <laughs> I'll take the hot chocolate. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> <laughs> Nonetheless, coffee beans. All right. Um, our, our ability then to become our reason then becomes the master of that coffee bean, yes, right? Yes, so no longer, yes. no longer are we the, the handmaid of trying to figure out what God created this coffee bean for. Now we're trying to make it into what we want it to be. And that shift, I mean, you, that, that's almost a necessary shift to be able to have science and technology to the extent that we've had. We would not be here where we are today without this Cartesian solipsistic shift within the way uh, we think and as 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 a roman catholic as a philosopher as a husband as a father saying these things that rate rene descartes has really given more positives than he has negative i'm defending rene descartes i think where we are today and in, in large part uh comes from the seed that he planted back in the 1500s in order for us to be able to change the way in which we think but what he wound up doing was splitting the world to a certain extent into into two yeah. two, two factors yes he did there were those things that you could measure that you could um kind of put a number to or or you know every every student of of algebra and geometry empiricism we 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 plot our lines and our shapes on a Cartesian grid, right? Yes, we and, do. And we, the X and Y axis, exactly. Right? And and the reason we call that a Cartesian grid is because Descartes came up with it. Yeah, yeah. Um, brilliant it, math mathematician, right? But he was he recognized that the ability to do that mathematics was was totally based on sort of our 
our, our sensory understanding of the world. Yes. And he recognized that that was inadequate, that yes. that really wouldn't give us an understanding of what the things actually are. But he was able to say, okay, so we've got, we've got this, this realm of ideas and realm of thought and realm of, of, I guess, sort of where we can kind of discuss what things might be. Yeah. But then we also have this realm of reality where we can plot things on a, a Cartesian graph and measure things and, and you know, recognize color. And um, so you had the realm of, suddenly you had the realm of science and the realm of speculation. Yes. And, um, and I don't think we, I don't think science would have been able to progress without it being unmoored from speculation, but you're right. Philosophers want to be able to put speculation and science back together again. Right, right. Absolutely. So, so we have this, this, this shift of objective to subjective and, and, and we have ever since that time been trying to reclaim some component of an objective so that we can talk about reality as is reality qua reality or being qua being so that we we know what we're saying and, and using the same vocabulary because as anybody who's ever listened to this show knows we use these massive words and if we're not saying the same thing within the same context we're, we're violating the principle of non-contradiction and then we're not saying anything at all so we so having a fundamental understanding of of the vocabulary of of philosophy is very much like learning a foreign language right and 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 not only learning a foreign language but learning your own language so yeah, yeah. you know i think philosophy took two different paths um from descartes um of trying to figure out how do we get back to some semblance of of objectivity mm-hmm. one of them was looking at okay what is it that what is it that's in my head when when i'm conceiving of reality what are those things and objects and and what is it that makes me say okay when i see a cup it's a, it's a cup it's an object they're, right. they're, so what what's going on in my head the other is well how are we communicating that mm-hmm. reality how is it that you and i can agree that that's a cup yes. and, and we've got a word for it and 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 our language can convey not just you know that it's a cup, but you and I could discuss the chemical breakdown of the coffee and the cup and the styrofoam in great detail just through language. So what is it about language that's able to convey the truth of things? And so those are, I think were kind of two paths yeah. that, that philosophy took to, to try to understand this. And understanding language, um, I am, I am throwing sounds out into the air in each of these sounds put together represents an object or at least an idea. And when you receive them, you are categorizing these sounds by the symbols that they represent. So when you receive them, you are also interpreting it from a subjective experience. So we can say and mean the very same thing, but your experience of perhaps my body language or the tone of my voice um, whether I make eye contact, if, if I have an aggressive posture, all of it can be received very differently. So, so even if we say the same thing, there's still a subjective experience of, of the same language. Right. And, and so 
the problem's not really subjectivity because subjectivity exists. Sure. I mean, it, it, we, we have to acknowledge it. We have to acknowledge 500 that. years on. The question is, is it all subjective? Is, is right. there any objective reality beneath our subjective experience or is it, is this sort of a, a chimera or, or is there some sort of middle path there that, yeah. that we can, we can follow? All right. With that, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be back with more right after this. One day, one voice shared one message and one man who provides one way to God. Maybe that's why we have one objective. Share Jesus, the one who loves, saves, and forgives. Catholic Radio Indy. At Catholic Radio, we love to hear from you. Call us anytime. Just recently, we found this message on our voicemail. I'm a non-Catholic that listens to your Catholic radio station, and I just want to thank you guys. I listen to uh, Catholic Answers and Al Cresta sometimes, and I think her name's Teresa Tommy. I listen to her and uh, another show or two. I appreciate it. Call us at 317-870-8400 and let us know what you're thinking. I just called to say, even though I'm not a Catholic, I listen to your station. Catholic Radio Indy has a new look. It's our website. Yes, we have a new website that makes everything about Catholic Radio Indy easier. It's clean, straightforward, and simple to use. You can listen to us live, see our schedule, and our map. You can even silence your phone and take it right into Mass to follow the daily readings. And don't forget, you can get all of our programming through the podcast tab. This makes everything so much easier. So just go to catholicradioindy.org and check us out. You can hear the Holy Mass every day at 8 a.m. right here on Catholic Radio Indy. Welcome back to the Catholic Cave. I'm Mark Tuttle here with Joseph Tomasian. And uh, we got one more segment here to uh, to kind of, I think, land the plane as we're, we're, we're talking about. Yeah. We're talking about Rene Descartes. We're talking about subjectivity. Um, why this was such an earth-shattering revelation mm-hmm. that, um, you know, Honestly, it's my own subjectivity that I know best, as Descartes kind of said. It's really that thing that I cannot doubt. Um, so it's really the only thing that I can know with any sort of certainty is that there's thinking going on and, and that, you know, from that I exist. And he did try to build up reality after that. You know, he, he after he realized, okay, cogito ergo sum, there's, there's thinking going on. And so therefore I know that I exist. Um once he was able to hit that point, then he started to try to build up the existence of God um, and the existence uh, after God of the corporeal world and, 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 and veracity and truth. And, you know, I think most philosophers kind of look at his rebuild and kind of recognize that it, it falls short in a lot of significant ways, but, um, but nonetheless, he at least made an effort to try to rebuild everything off of that. So the, I, the, the question comes, is it possible, I guess, to get outside of our own subjectivity to, uh, to, to, to be able to at least recognize what is subjective versus what is out there you know, that, that that's not contingent on my own experience of it, but is, is, you know, real in in a, a very real sense yeah i i would say both yes and no i i would say uh no because we 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 live in our in ourselves you know we 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 have our own distinctive worldviews we have our own biases we have our own life experiences but yes absolutely as well 
because we know how to empathize. And empathy itself is is the ability to to see from another's perspective and, and to and to suffer with somebody else, right? You know, to have compassion, cum passio, to suffer with. And so, uh, it it takes training. Uh, where where subjectivity goes too far, I would say from from our perspective, from the from the Roman Catholic perspective, is that. Uh, and people do this all the time today. They say that you know my perspective is 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 reality itself. My my experience, and it's a very arrogant way to look at life. If but it's 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 also undeveloped and childish. So uh, you know the 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 six year old who who wants something because she wants it. Well, okay, I get it, but I want it. Well, I I understand that. But that's very much the same way as as living in a fully subjective experience where you don't have a capacity to see the world through another lens. Yeah, I think a lot of people get mistaken on the definition of subjectivity. Yes. You know, when when we recognize that, yeah, our our access to the world is through our own subjective experience of it, that's not discounting completely our senses. It's not discounting Mm -hmm. our ability to reason, our ability to think. And with that, sort of a a common um, intellect that that we have with others that we interact with. Um, So your your six-year-old, the, the fundamental error there. And I think this goes back to relativism in general. Sure, so rel- sure. relativism is, is the very common belief out there that, well, because we subjectively experience the world, there is no truth, right? right? There, there, right, there can't be anything right. that's objectively true because it's all subjective experience. So yeah. it's, it's all relative. The error that's made there is, I think, sort of mistaking your feelings and your emotions and that side of your psyche for your intellect, your reason and your ability to, in in some ways stand outside yourself, as you say, you know, your, your ability to empathize, to kind of recognize that, which is fairly indubitably true about the world around us. So when we take that subjective experience and we place it onto different theological concepts, like John Duns Scotus's Hyseitas, the 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 thisness, the individualism of of the of the creation of God, the person. Uh, oftentimes, what that does, and, and we see it in philo- or theology today, is it says that my experience of God is different than yours, and that's okay, and it's equally valid. Well, okay, yes and no. Are, 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 are we are we created imago Dei or are we forming God imago Mei in my image based upon my experiences and and I think that's where we fundamentally have this have this shift in 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 bad I don't want to use the word bad in 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 other uh, theologies based upon this subjective experience but going back to you know these postmodern philosophers who were trying to reclaim this this idea of of an absolute. You know, like I said in, in Edmund Husserl, he had this brilliant student Edith Stein, and Edith Stein uh, continued some of Husserl's work, 
she 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 also uh, was Jewish. She converted to Christianity. She started develop the, developing her own philosophy, which was this brilliant phenomenological approach to experiences in that, yes, ob- objectivity exists, but we all experience it subjectively. And so we have to be able to communicate these different subjective experiences of reality of an object so that we can come to a consensus of what actually is real. Unfortunately, you know, she, she, she died in Auschwitz before, uh, her, her her philosophy was fully developed, and so we only have a partial understanding of what she was presenting, but it itself is brilliant, and, and of course we now know her as uh, St. Teresa Benedict of the Cross, this brilliant philosopher, from whom Carol Wojtyla took much of his thinking and developed what we now call theology of the body. Yeah, and I, I think continuing on the, uh, the phenomenological use i guess of the, the tools yeah, the, yeah. The, the tools that were used i think could become quite useful in in theology going down especially as we are discussing the nature of the mass that seems yeah. to be the the, yeah. the subject du jour um because we're we're still trying to digest it being translated into the vernacular right. it being made into a more participatory experience at least at least vocally and physically participatory right. Right. i mean presumably you're you're participating with the traditional latin mass as well um but how that experience of the mass has shifted yes um and has that fundamentally changed the nature of the mass or has that changed our subjective experience of it only and that is i think the 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 question and those tools of phenomenology would be quite useful i think in trying to figure out okay when the mass was translated into the vernacular um what was the nature of of the change to the mass right and i would say that you know we have this dividing line now between those who who are traditionalists and 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 those who regularly attend the novus ordo nothing metaphysically has changed from the mass itself right jesus still shows up it's still lucid it's still valid right mass is still mass but our subjective experience of it has changed and and so this is a great example of of intersubjective teleology you know the the foundational basis from which we experience the final cause or the purpose of a thing and so we you may go to a traditional mass i may go to uh novus ordo mass but we both receive the eucharist and it's both the same thing and it's both valid and, and both masses are listed and it's both beautiful and and so we could say, yeah, it's not the same mass. Well, the words are different, and the and the the experience may feel different, uh, but I think that there, you know, that's where the 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 pastoral legality of of of, of allowing um, the the extraordinary form comes in, you know, because some people like to experience that in a different way. Yeah, I think there's a, a personal preference to it. I also think there's a the nature of the modern world is such right now that I think both modes of communication, um, both both the modes of, you know, you think about the traditional Latin mass, the traditional Latin mass is, is spoken. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, people read along in their missiles, but that's not the primary mode of, of transmission right, of right. it. It's, it, it, it's spoken prayer um, and it's very visual. Um, and so you have sort of, uh, I, I would almost say, 
a, a pre-printing press version of the mass. Right? People didn't know how to read. They didn't know how to read. And not only that, but they didn't have things that, that were printed. All right. writing was, was, was handwritten mm-hmm. by monks. Um, so that mode is still very important. I think keeping that mode intact is still very important for the modern world. On the flip side, that's not how we, that's not how we interact in the real world. We right. are, we are people in some ways we're getting beyond the printing press. Um, but you know, we are, we are a people that, we need we we need that sort of i guess sort of stamped repetitive reality of of the printed word and and you know the uh, when when i came i i was a convert when i came into the church um, I came from Lutheranism, mm-hmm. and I recognized, hey, you know, the the Norvis Ordo Mass is very similar to the Lutheran Mass. Right. And we even joked that, yeah, well, the, the the Catholics in the 1960s and 70s decided just to, you know, co-opt the Lutherans. Fine, and, Martin Luther was right. Exactly. Take take the Lutheran <laughs> Lutheran service and make it the Mass. That's not the case. The reason they seem so similar, though, is because the modality is the same, I think. Right. They both came about right. post-Gutenberg. So yes. they, they both came about after the printing press, and they both, I think, recognized that modality. And and that's how we interact with the world. We, you know, Despite the internet, we are still very much a people that are, are confined to printed books, books that are mass-produced for, for mass consumption. And um, that... Not only, and, and I think this would be a, a topic for a whole nother show, um, that colors the way we experience reality. Right. Um, you know, it, it's not just that that's how we get the the images of reality. That's not how we sense reality and how we experience reality. That actually changes the way we think and yeah. it changes the way we approach reality. It, 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 changed, it changed with the extraordinary form. And I don't want to... Sem- be controversial when I say this, but it changed a, a passive reception of the graces of, of, of mass to an active participation in the graces of the mass. And when that happens, there is a fundamental psychological and intellectual shift because now you are an active part of, of the beauty of, of the divine liturgy. Yeah. I also think if you look at what the mass is doing, the, the mass is making sacred that which previous to it had been unredeemed to a right. certain extent. Sure. And so when we go to mass, we bring ourselves, we bring our lives, we, 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 we bring our offerings and we lay it on the altar. And this goes for, you know, this is the mass, traditional Latin mass or Norvis Ordo. We offer that to Christ. And then through his, his death and resurrection, he makes it sacred. He makes our lives sacred. He makes the world sacred. Well, to do that effectively, it makes sense to translate that into the mode with which we are interacting in the world and our everyday life. And so, you know, there, there's a certain sense and need, I think, for that Norvis Ordo also alongside the traditional Latin Mass. It is the subjective experience of the objective reality of God's divine grace. And with that, we're going to wrap up with a simple prayer. O Lord, give to your people, we pray, the spirit of truth that we may know you with all our hearts, with all our minds, and with all our souls. And with that, we close this episode of The Catholic Cave. For Joseph Tomasian and for Mark Tuttle, I'm Kent Blanford. Until next time, be holy. The Catholic Cave is a production of Catholic Radio Indy. Replays of this program are available in podcast form at catholicradioindy.org. 
Comments about this program can be addressed to Kent at catholicradioindy.org or by calling 317-870-8400. Did you miss something in this show or just want to hear it again? Podcasts of this and all our other great local programs are available 24-7 at catholicradioindy.org. You can hear the Holy Mass every day at 8 a.m. right here on Catholic Radio Indy, 